Thank you for listening to The Actors Room. Please subscribe to the show in iTunes and leave comments and reviews. The show is also on Facebook, Twitter, Google Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. The website for the show is theactorsroom.libsyn.com. The site gives you access to all past episodes. Enjoy the show. New York City. He idolized it all out of proportion. Uh, no, make that, he, he romanticized it all out of proportion. Yeah. To him, no matter what the season was, this was still a town that existed in black and white and pulsated to the great tunes of George Gershwin. Uh, now, let me start this over. Chapter one. He was too romantic about Manhattan, as he was about everything else. He thrived on the hustle bustle of the crowds and the traffic. To him, New York meant beautiful women and street-smart guys who seemed to know all the angles. Ah, no, corny, too corny for a man of my taste. <clears throat> let, me, let me try and make it more profound. Chapter one, he adored New York City. To him, it was a metaphor for the decay of contemporary culture. The same lack of individual integrity that caused so many people to take the easy way out was rapidly turning the town of his dreams and no, it's going to be too preachy. I mean, you know, let's face it, I want to sell some books here. Chapter one. He adored New York City, although to him it was a metaphor for the decay of contemporary culture. How hard it was to exist in a society desensitized by drugs, loud music, television, crime, garbage. Too angry. I don't want to be angry. Chapter one. He was as tough and romantic as the city he loved. Behind his black-rimmed glasses was the coiled sexual power of a jungle cat. Oh, I love this. New York was his town, and it always would be. Woody Allen is a filmmaker, musician, comedian, and writer. Quote, While the character has almost no control over what happens to him, the man has almost complete control over what he does. Providing he stays within a certain budget, He has total artistic freedom, period. The script, the choice of actors, the direction, the editing, the music, everything is subject to his approval alone. End of quote. Now Woody Allen brings something intriguing and different to the audience. There are pieces of him scattered throughout his films. There is something about the feel that he brings. Every artist director and actor all have a uniqueness about them. You just know their work. Alan has the ability to take an idea, a project, and make it his own. And he takes great pride in that. I don't think it is too much of a reach making this statement. And this is just my opinion. Woody is fascinated with the Hollywood scene. I just think he is. He loves Hollywood. Not only New York, which he has claimed many, many times. Uh, He absolutely adores New York. And in that opening clip I played for you, 
That's from his film called Manhattan. And he proclaims his love for New York City, not only in that entire film, but in that very beginning. That is the beginning of that movie, Manhattan. And Woody Allen starts off the movie with his little monologue, talking about, uh, and, and if you pay close attention to that monologue, and one of the reasons why I wanted to put that in there as well, is it really does describe and give you a look into who Woody Allen really is. That's him, and how he goes about um, trying to put a piece of work together. Um, you can tell that in that monologue, he's going over different ideas, like he's going to, chapter one, and he starts talking about uh, the character. No, no, no. I, I got to do it differently. And no, 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 no. To this, to that. And then finally, he comes out on top at the end of the monologue, pretty much saying that he's like this, you know, wild cat in bed or something like that, because he's going to be the hero. Isn't that right? You build it up, and ultimately, you want to be the guy. And what's really strange about Woody Allen is, I mean, take a look at this guy. I mean, he's got to be what? Like five six, five five. I mean, 105 pounds soaking wet, uh, a little guy, uh, you know, the, the black glasses. He isn't the most attractive guy in the world, but there's something about him, right? Um, he has that certain confidence. Um, he just does. And the, the wit, uh, the comedy, the sense of humor is something that women find attractive. Um, and your physical looks, it almost doesn't matter. And I think Woody Allen appeals to a lot of people in that way. Uh, we see him as sort of an underdog figure. And because of his wit, he goes ahead and he makes himself very appealing to us. So back to my point, I think he really is fascinated by the whole Hollywood scene. And not only that, but just show business. As much as he loves both New York and Hollywood, it's all about all the little things that go along with the business. If you watch his films, a lot of them have to do with that. Uh, how things go, how things run, how they look, how things really, what happens behind the scenes and things like that. And I think that part of the business appealed to him in the very beginning of his career. And he wanted to be a part of that and show it on the screen. Uh, he also likes to place in his own childhood in his work as well. He has no problem at all revealing his true self in his work. And he also likes to show us his curiosities. Now, of course, there's been a bit of controversy in Woody Allen's life. Um, let's go ahead and put this out there right now. I don't think I'll come back to it. But when discussing Woody Allen, I think it's something you have to bring up. Um, because you're just not going to be truthful about doing this episode of the podcast. If I'm not going to go ahead and uh, talk about this part of his life. And that is his relationship with women um, and girls, for that matter. Now, I say that loosely. Um, he has been involved with younger women slash girls. And he even put it in the movie Manhattan. If you watch the movie, I think he says in the movie he's 42. Don't quote me on that. <clears throat> but he's around there. And he's dating um, Hemingway. Uh, Meryl Hemingway, and she is, I think, 17 in this movie. Very revealing. Isn't that something? He put that in there. And he likes younger girls. Women, sorry, girls. But accusations have been made by Mia Farrow, uh, one of his exes, of course, uh, that he went ahead and molested 
uh, her daughter. And then <clears throat> this all stemmed from right after he got involved with Mia Farrow's daughter at the time. And I believe she was around 21. But God only knows how long Woody Allen and I forget the, um, the daughter's name. I, I probably should have wrote that down. It's something I really didn't want to dive into. Um, but, you know, it is a part of his life. And I think that a lot of people are turned off by him because of these accusations. Now, he's never been tried and convicted of anything or brought up on any charges. There is no proof of anything of him doing uh, this conduct that has been expressed uh, by Mia Farrow and her daughter. Um, so I'm not going to get into that. Um, I would maybe a bit more if there were allegations that were true, but nothing's been proven. But I do find it odd that Woody Allen has an attraction towards younger women. Now, this is known, and that's a fact. So that kind of plays into what your opinion might be about him personally. But we're not going to dive too much into the personal life. I don't like to do that because this show is based primarily on the talents that they possess, either in front of the camera or behind it. And Woody Allen is pretty damn good at both of those things. Both being in front of the camera and behind it. Woody Allen's real name is Allen Stewart Koningsberg. His mother's name is Nettie, and his father's name is Martin. Although both of his parents were raised in Manhattan, their rich heritage uh, was held close to their hearts. And his mother's side of the family were from Vienna, and his father's family is from Russia. Now, his mother spoke Yiddish and German. Woody's mother was very religious and respected the Jewish religion. Uh, now, Woody's father grew up religious as well. Yiddish was the primary language in his household. Alan's paternal grandfather was a successful salesman and made a very comfortable living. He even was able to arrange to have Wood's dad be a mascot at some of the Brooklyn Dodger baseball games. Then the crash hit in 1929 and they lost everything. His grandfather was able to sustain a nice business by running a butter and egg market. And this is where Woody's parents met. Woody's mom was a thin, red-headed woman. And she was impressed at the way Woody's dad, Martin, treated her with respect. And they married in 1931. Now, if you want a glimpse of the childhood that Woody Allen grew up in, please go take a look at a film called Radio Days. Now, this was done by Woody. He didn't act in this. But this movie is one of my favorites. Not only Woody Allen movie, but one of the movies that I could put in and just enjoy every time I see it. There's a young Seth Green. He actually plays a young Woody Allen in the film. And I guess I would say he's probably, I don't know, 11 or 12, this kid. And so you get a glimpse of the atmosphere that Woody Allen grew up in and what he experienced. He was involved in one of those families like, uh, they had like f two or three other families living with them at the time. You know, he had like aunts and uncles living with him, cousins. Now, you know, it was just 
always something going on, of course. You're going to have two or three families living together. Of course, there's going to be stuff going on at all times. Just hustle and bustle. Always something not, you know, fights, uh, you know, interesting things going on. So he grew up in that atmosphere. So it's called Radio Days. Okay, um, Woody's dad, Martin, struggled to support his family. He would take on many odd jobs to keep the family afloat. So when Woody was one, his mother decided to get some work of her own and got a job as a bookkeeper. This meant that Woody was being watched by nannies or babysitters. He even remembers an incident when the babysitter had him bundled in a blanket and the sitter threatened to suffocate him. Now, I guess this babysitter said, I could smother you right now, throw you in the garbage, and no one would even care. End of quote. I would say that would be something I remember. Uh, being babysat by someone and have them say that to me, that blows my mind that a babysitter, and if this is true, and I'm sure it is, I don't think Woody Allen would make this up. That is fucked up. All right. Uh, Now, he never told his parents about this incident. Woody remembers his parents not getting along. His quote on this is this, quote, they did everything except exchange gunfire, end of quote. There was always fighting, and it was mostly about money. His mother was tight with the money, and the dad, not so much. I guess the dad liked to buy a lot of clothes. Uh, They made enough to get by, but Martin, Woody's father, would always spend more than they had. Though Woody witnessed many fights performed by his parents, Woody never developed a temper. And Alan never raises his voice, and if he does... It's very, very rare. Uh, He doesn't do it at home, and he rarely does it on the set. Woody was not a very social child. He would take different routes walking to school to avoid other kids. He had a watchful eye and a vivid memory. And he loves New York City because of the hustle and bustle of it. Uh, I think he likes the fact that he could blend in. Quite simply, one time, his dad and mom took him downtown to see a film called Snow White. And he was very young. And at that time, and even though he was very young, he looked up at the screen, saw what was going on, and thought to himself, I could do that. I could do that very easily. It seemed possible to him and something that he could actually do. Putting a story on the screen. One person he loved above all else in the entertainment field while he was a kid was Bob Hope. He was an inspiration to him. And he identified with his humor. Now I found this tidbit about Woody to be very interesting. He doesn't like to ride a bike. He doesn't like driving cars. And he hates gadgets like cameras tape recorders, and airplanes. There are certain things that are putting off to me, he says. Like, if he walks into a store and they're playing rock music, he has to leave right away. He just can't take it. He prefers the big band music and claims there aren't any hit songs after 1950 that he likes at all. 
And if you're to watch his movies, you can understand this. He plays a lot of classical stuff, a lot of big band stuff, real classy stuff. And I think that's what appeals to me as well. Alan has stated that he hated elementary school. And when I say hate, I mean hated. He had much freedom at home. And school was the exact opposite. And he says this, quote, School was a humorless, joyless, educationless experience provided by nasty and unpleasant teachers, end of quote. Yeah, I'd say that uh, he hated school. I love that. He even made up a word there. Educationless is not a word. I looked it up, but it should be. Okay, great quote. Uh, He would skip school often, not do homework, and generally not care. His parents were called down to the office for conferences on a weekly basis, but it just never worked. The reality was that Woody Allen had a very high IQ, but didn't want to apply himself at school. He was learning on his own time, and uh, he studied what he liked. Films. Films and films. Whenever he could go to the movies, guess what? He was there. It didn't matter what time of the day it was. Uh, School hours and I wanted to go see a movie. Guess what? I'm not going to school. I'm going to go see that movie. He also enjoyed being alone for the most part. His parents trusted him when he was on his own. When Woody was eight years old, his sister was born and her name is Letty. He wasn't the only child anymore. And he remarks that he loved his sister immediately. Needless to say, both of them are very close. And I would like to also point this out. Uh, He considers his sister one of his closest friends. And this will be a trend in his life. Most of his closest friends are women. He also makes a point to have a strong female lead in most of his films. And I like that. Woody was born into a Jewish family. But this faith, it it just didn't grab him. The whole religion thing, even the Jewish uh, religion, is instilled upon their kids. And when you grow up in a Jewish family, um, it is strongly uh, placed into your values and how important the religion is. So what I'm thinking is that his mom, I think, was pretty religious, but his dad, not so much. There wasn't that uh, um, uh, joint... A feeling or communication between the parents to instill in Woody the importance of the Jewish religion. So, you know, he could probably have gone either way with that whole religion thing. But he just didn't go the way of his mother. He was more like his dad, I guess, in this way. Uh, he just didn't... Any religion, actually. And I think I point that out here. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, something about the faith itself... Never really grabbed him. Um, It just wasn't for me, he says. Uh, And he never had the urge to be into any religion, for that matter. He was indifferent to it. Alan would remember thinking how silly it was for religion to not allow someone to go see a movie because of its offending content. Woody also remembers the ethics that were displayed by his father. He was always a crooked kind of guy. Hustling people 
to gain a buck. I operated in the same manner, Woody says. For that, he is much like his dad. Woody would be able to handle a deck of cards quite well at an early age. He would hustle many children in high school. That is the way he operated. And he would later find out that when you find a $5 bill on the floor of a friend's house, you should give it back to him. And he realized that as he went through his life. And he thought to himself, who would have thought? The family moved around a lot when Woody was a kid. He would state that this was a big part of the reason why he was neurotic. We moved constantly, he remarked. We picked up our stakes and we moved again and again and again. He would have to meet new friends all the time. You know, adjust. And he hated that. And you get to see, as a kid, he just, he wasn't that type. I would have been the same way. God bless my parents. When they got married, I believe, in 71 or 72. And they had me in 76. So they waited four years. They kind of had their own time together as a couple and uh, took their time with the fact of having a child. And when they decided to have a child, I was born in 1976. So there's a four-year gap. Uh, And then, you know, my dad uh, was slowly getting to the workforce and building himself up in the company. And then in 1980, my brother was born and they decided to move into the suburbs. And that's where they stayed. Okay, and I grew up in that house from the time I was four years old to the time I left when I was 19, 20 years old when I moved to New York. Poor Woody. (laughs) From what I understand, the family would move around like once or twice a year. That's crazy. How can you find any stability at all in your life when you're constantly moving around? I hate moving. We finally found our house. We're not moving anymore. But we have moved a few times. And it sucks every single time. So, um, And then not only just moving. But when you're finally in the new place. Adjusting to your surroundings. And that's what Woody had to do. And for a kid. Finding new friends every year or two. Is something that's not easy for anybody. Even somebody that's really outgoing. They might find it hard to do that. Woody wasn't. And I wasn't as well. So if my family was moving around, I know that I would have just definitely gone into a shell. And I think that's what Woody did. And then he went ahead and sort of, uh, you know, walked around the neighborhood. But he didn't really have too many friends. He would walk alone. And he would also practice comedy routines. And this caught the attention of his parents. And it made him feel good. And this is just a common theme in the lives of comedians and actors. They find themselves sort of shut off from the world at one point in their lives. And that comedy and performing, uh, the theater, spark something inside that makes them feel good. It makes them feel that they can do something important in the world. Make people laugh. Make people feel good. And they have the ability to do that. Now, as Woody got older and older, He found that he was a pretty witty guy. And when this happened, his popularity grew. Now, he never felt it important to join school activities. He was a small kid with a strong attitude. A bit of a loner. He had a few friends, but for the most part, he liked to be alone. 
But the friends he did have, they were very close. He was uncomfortable around people he didn't know. He has a passion for magic and music, especially New Orleans jazz. Now, he received a few magic books when he was a kid, and it spurned his interest. He studied magic. The same can be said about Johnny Carson. He loved magic as well. Woody was so proficient with his magic that he got an audition for a television show called The Magic Clown when he was 13 years old. His magic was fine, but it was his comedy that grabbed the audience. Soon enough, he came to realize that his humor worked. And this is where he decided to get into comedy. So as a teenager, he performed at Weinstein's Majestic Bungalow Colony. Alan loves music, and you can see this in his films. The way he incorporates the older jazz big band feel. I love that about his films. But he is also a musician. He adores the horns, the woodwinds, and plays saxophone and clarinet. Now, my own grandfather, Robert, loved both of those instruments, the saxophone and the clarinet. And he also would write music, my grandfather. And he left me his uh, piano, which I was just so flattered that my grandpa, I was 13 when he died. And whenever we went over there, I was always hanging around his piano. So I, he just probably knew that I loved that piano and deep down hoped and prayed that someday it would be mine. And it is. It's mine. He, when he passed, he handed down the piano to me. And it was such a compliment. And it is still, I, I love it. My, my kids play it. My daughter, Madeline, she's 13 right now. 14, sorry. Oh my gosh, she's 14. I know. And this year she's going to be 15, my daughter. Oh my God. She's going into high school next year. Okay. I don't like thinking about that stuff because not only does it make me feel old, it worries me. But getting back to the point, because now my point is completely gone. I don't even know what I was talking about. Okay, the fact that he was 13 and he was doing magic, right? Okay, oh, I was talking about the piano. Yeah, so, you know, my, my daughter Madeline, she plays on the piano a lot. And she's teaching herself songs on the piano by ear. Or there's apps that you can go to. So it's being used. Now, I don't use it like I used to because... It's just I've got other things that I'm doing and I'm very shy about playing in front of people. I know even like around my own family, I'm shy. I don't like people listening to me. It's really fucking weird, right? Like I love performing, but I have to have the performance just right. Like when I practice, I don't like people hearing my mistakes. It just, it bothers me. I don't mind falling on my face on my own. But when I'm making mistakes and other people see them, it just, ah. So what happens is when I'm alone, that's when I'll sit down at the piano and play. Is when I'm alone. Right? Don't ask me why. These things. These little things that we do. Whatever. Woody Allen went to Midwood High School. He treated high school the same way he treated middle school. And that is with zero interest. His grades were fair. They were in the low 70s. And when you look at his senior yearbook on classmates.com, classmates.com. Oh, and by the way, I know most of you don't care, but I care. 
I found my yearbooks. Can you believe it? I've been looking for them for years. They were in a box labeled something else, like pictures. Or I don't. It wasn't pictures. I don't know what it was labeled, but it was labeled something that I thought to myself, you know, for the past couple of years, I'd even bother opening that box because I felt well, they're not going to be in there. But I was looking for something else actually yesterday in the attic, and I came upon that box. I opened it. And gleaming in front of me are my yearbooks. All four of them. I haven't seen them in a while. So I was looking at them last night. Going down memory lane. Looking at stuff. Looking at all my friends. And what they like, what they put in the yearbook. You know how you sign it and you write a little message. It's so stupid. When you look back. God. It's just so stupid. The things that they wrote on there. Like I don't even want to show my kids what they wrote on there. I mean it's ridiculous. I remember my parents... Okay, they graduated in the 70s. Show me their yearbook. And they weren't embarrassed to show me what their, what their friends wrote. I would be completely embarrassed for my kids to read what my friends wrote down. Like, one of the comments was like, smoke a joint for old times, bitch. I can't have my kids reading that. Well, maybe when they're 30. Ridiculous. Fuck. Now I know why uh, my dad was not too thrilled with me hanging out with my buddies. They were kind of wild. I really wasn't that wild. I had fun. Don't get me wrong. I, I had fun. Okay. I wasn't an angel. Well, none, of, none of us are. But my friends were pretty wild. Now that I look back, I can see why, why my dad was really nervous when I would leave. And he'd be like, I, I want you home by midnight. You know what? No. I want you home by 11. I'm like, Dad, come on, man. I got to be out later than that. And he'd wait up. My dad would wait up. I would. I had a beeper. Okay. And I think it would get pretty close to my curfew and it would go off. It would like a little reminder. He'd have like a 10 minute warning. <laughs> my dad. He's such a good dad. He was worried about me. You don't think about that shit when you're a teenager. You just, that never occurs to you, right? No fear. Nothing's going to happen to you. No. Dad knows things can happen to you. And when I actually got a steady girlfriend that year or the next year, it was funny too. Like, uh, I wasn't hanging around my friends. I was hanging out with my girlfriend, of course. And my dad loved it. And I didn't understand it then. I'm like, what? I'd be like, all right, dad, you know, I'll, I would go out on a date or, you know, whatever. And I'd be like, all right, see you later. I'm like, you know, what time you want me home? He's like, I yeah, don't worry about it. I'm like, what? Uh, okay. I guess I'll see you later then. <laughs> because he knew it, he wasn't worried. I'd be like, yeah, you know. Pop in whenever you can. I wasn't with my friends. It's like, uh, you know, you can come in, you know, one, two o'clock, you know, as long as you don't drink. You know, I'm like, all right, all right. And uh, yeah, so just a little glimpse into all that shit. And I went way off topic here, way off topic, I think. Just talking about high school and, and, and yearbooks and going back in time. And, and for me, all those experiences, um, good and bad, really shaped me of who I am as a person. Uh, high school was very, it could be a very dramatic thing. Um, so when I found my yearbooks, I was very happy because they mean something to me. When I look at them, I start remembering my childhood and uh, slowly maturing. Um, you do mature in high school, I know. It doesn't seem that way. When you think of high school kids... And maturity, they don't go together. They really don't. That happens later on. And when I moved to New York, that started to happen. 
Uh, I really did grow up when I was on my own. You have to, or you're going to fall on your face. So I'm going to collect myself, okay, uh, and look at my notes and get back on track. And uh, so I apologize for my sort of yearbook ranting and reminiscing speech. All right, we're going to get back on track. Okay, so I referenced classmates.com because you can go on there, okay, and you can see he graduated in 1953, the year my dad and mom were born. Uh, and you can see his picture uh, in the yearbook. And because I bring this up, because that's all you see is his picture uh, in the uh, senior section because he didn't do anything else. Uh, nothing at all. Uh, and because, uh, I mean, you'd think he would do something in drama maybe, like join the drama club. Right? Do a play? No. He had nothing to do at school at all. And I find this very interesting. Was he sort of, sort of, I don't know, what was he? Uh, he, he hated the teachers. Um, maybe he hated just the fact that it was cliche to join clubs. And he would just be like, oh, I don't need to do that. I don't need to be popular. I'm just me. I like doing what I like to do. I don't have to go flaunt uh, certain things. Woody, I think, was very comfortable in his own skin at this time, being a senior in high school. And uh, like uh, he even says that uh, his picture, um, you know, and then at, around your picture, they would have all the activities you did and all the clubs that you were in. And his was blank. It was a blank space. And he said, well, because it was nothing there, they should have had two pictures of me. Now, the only class that Woody enjoyed was English. His compositions were very good. And the teacher would have him stand up in class in front of everyone and read them aloud. He even wrote a paper that was a big, big problem. <laughs> okay. Uh, a little racy, so to speak. Uh, the teacher was so pissed that the dean got involved. Now, Woody placed within the text some one-line jokes, and his mother was called into the office. They felt that Woody was being inappropriate and needed to see a shrink. An example of one of the jokes was this. She had an hourglass figure, and boy, would I like to play in the sand. Fucking awesome. Now, these are jokes... That he didn't find in a book he was reading. Hey, these are jokes that come from within Woody Allen. I love that. I am impressed with people that can invent jokes. Um, now, I can be funny sometimes and things can happen organically and I'm joking around with the kids and we're just having a good time. And um, Sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, something I just said was actually pretty funny. But Woody Allen can sit down, okay, with a couple sheets of paper and he can put together just a string of jokes he can fill up both sides of that piece of paper with jokes and do it in a day he could just make stuff up funny he had that keen mind the ability to think of a situation make it funny now I love this quote from Woody about school and how much he hated it and in the same respect when he decided to play hooky and how wonderful that was and here's the quote there are few things in life as delightful as hooky. 
to get up in the morning early with that horrid burden of school hanging over your head and setting out for it, knowing you're going to get five hours of mindless, agonizing, sort of soul-deadening nothing, then deciding suddenly with a friend that you're not going to go, that instead you're going to go buy tickets to see the Dodger game. I mean, it's like a reprieve from the electric chair, end of quote. Woody loved comedians, of course, and would memorize the routines and then present them to his friends. His own mother encouraged him as well, telling him to aim high. By growing up in a Jewish atmosphere, Woody was always told he could do better. Never settle. You know, who do you think you are? You think you're good? Be better. I guess there's that old Levinson joke that when a boy came home one day and told his mom that he got a 98 on a test. You know, I, Ma, I got a 98 on my test. The mom replied, who got the other two points? There was that high expectation. You know, what do you think you're so good at? Try harder, harder, and harder. Now, Woody Allen would become a joke writer. He worked hard at it. And decided to send his cousin his jokes. Now I guess his cousin was involved in public relations. And he gave him some good feedback. And kind of gave him hope. And said, you know, Woody, don't hesitate. Write up your jokes and send them out. To everything. To you know, any newspaper in New York. Do it. So guess what? That's exactly what he did. But first he decided to do this. Change his name. He would shed Alan Conensberg and become Woody Allen. He typed up his jokes over the signature of Woody Allen. And he mailed them to one columnist after another, always with the same note. And it said this, Enclosed are some gags for your consideration and sent exclusively to you. Just brilliant stuff. The first columnist to use his jokes was Nick Kenny. And then before long, the much more powerful and widely read Earl Wilson of the New York Post. And I guess this guy, Earl Wilson, started using his jokes on a regular basis on his show. This was all very flattering to Alan, but he didn't get paid for it. This was a starting point, and it felt good. Alan graduated from high school and had to make sense of what he wanted to do with his life. He played with the idea of becoming a detective or working for the FBI. But he knew his talents were in writing and comedy. Alan points out that he was good at making an awkward situation better just by using his comedy. Just a one-liner would break the tension. And he did this often enough to give himself the confidence to go forward with writing. Bob Hope was the first to do it. Then Danny Kaye did his version. Then Abbott and Costello. And then later, Jerry Lewis. So Alan started out after high school, going into Manhattan every day for five hours writing jokes. His weekly paycheck was $20. And he would give them about 50 new jokes a day. 
So I guess his first real job was writing jokes. Um, it's just so strange to me that you wake up in the morning. Okay, you wake up on a Monday morning. You put your shoes on. You're brushing your teeth. You know, you're just getting ready for the day. He hopped on the subway or the the train, whatever. Went into Manhattan. Okay, for his job, and he walked in the office. I guess he had a little desk. Maybe I don't think they had cubicles back then, but he had his little corner or a little desk, and he had some paper and a pencil. And for five hours, his job was to put down jokes on a piece of paper. So I guess what happens is that every day he would give them 50 new jokes and got $20 a week for it. That's pretty cool that you're able to make money off of being funny like that. And that's how his career kind of started. And that is where we're going to end this episode of The Actor's Room because there's a lot to dive into with Woody Allen. I didn't want to rush it. I feel that, A, I don't want to feel rushed in any episode, and B, I don't want an episode to go too long. Now, my brother and I uh, were rookies, and our Robin Williams episode was like an hour and 40 minutes. It was wonderful. It's a great episode. If you haven't Listen to that one yet. The Robin Williams episode. My brother Dave and I uh, collaborated on it. We did it together. We sat down. We just had a conversation. And I thought it went really well. But it was an hour and 40 minutes. And when I think about it, I go, oh, I will never do that again. Um, We would have, uh, you know, thinking back to myself, we should have split it up. We should have stopped it at one point and then continued the week after and made it two-parter. For Robin Williams. We didn't. It was kind of a special episode. You know. I would have done it differently. Sure. But guess what. It was our first one together. You're going to make mistakes. I'm sure Dave has uh, things that he looks back on. And goes. God I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have done that. And there's things that I was like. Oh boy. What was I thinking here. So it's a you know live and learn. And uh, getting a little disheartened. With my podcast right now. Looking at the numbers. They are they're the worst they've been in a while just this past week. But the week before, they were really good. But now they're not. And I thought my Bill Murray episode was pretty fucking good. I mean, I don't know what's going on. It's just nobody's listening. I guess I don't know how to put it out there, uh, how to advertise it and use the social media. Or maybe just this, the show just doesn't appeal to a lot of people. That could be it too. Uh, but I'm going to keep on trucking and keep going until... I reached that point where I'm like, uh, and I kind of feel like it's happening soon and it's kind of worrying me a little bit because this is fun to do, but if nobody's listening and I ran into my cousin and his uh, fiance, um, recently and they brought up, Oh, we're listening to your show. And I said, well, thanks. I really appreciate that. And I said, you know, I'm probably not going to be doing it for too much longer. It's just, nobody's listening. They're like, oh, just do it anyways. Even if you're just doing it for yourself, it's it's fun, right? And I'm like, yeah, it is. So they're like, we'll just keep doing it. And they're like, it makes us, you know, happy. We like to, hit, to listen to it. And that meant a lot to me. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Um, if you are listening, please go on to iTunes and leave comments and reviews. I'm saying this honestly now. Nobody has done it. It's like, <laughs> come on. It literally takes two minutes, literally two 
minutes. It helps the show tremendously. It helps it bump up in ratings uh, where my show can be seen. And I can continue doing this. Uh, so please take the time to do that. It really does mean a lot to me. And I pretty much say it in every episode. But nobody does it. Um, so please do that. Support the show. Uh, visit the website. Uh, Facebook. Twitter. Um, anything you can to support the show. So I can do more shows like the Woody Allen. And Bill Murray. And talking about Lawrence Olivier. Marlon Brando. James Dean. Meryl Streep. Morgan Freeman. River Phoenix. Heath Ledger. Gary Oldman. All these actors. Actresses. It, I did Stanley Kubrick. Uh, gosh couple of months ago there's some really good stuff in there i dive talking about like uh how he may have been connected with the elite people uh watch his films they're very edgy uh there's a lot of hidden things in there fascinating stuff and that's what i try to do with this show is kind of go behind the scenes and see what the their lives are like not only um their work but who they are as a person and what shapes them and that's what's fascinating about this show, I think, is that you get to learn that about them. You know, you don't know certain things and you don't like to pick up a biography and read a book about somebody. Um, you can go into my podcast and hopefully there's an actor. You go, oh, my God, yeah, Heath Ledger. Cool. I didn't know anything. I don't know anything about him except his movies. I've seen a couple of them. I think he's really good. Uh, cool. I'm going to learn more about him. And so within an hour, you get to learn something. You may not have known before about a favorite actor you have um, or favorite movie that you, you know, I, I did a, a Christmas vacation movie and I did The Godfather, which nobody cares about, man. That is like my least popular episode is The Godfather. I thought, man, The Godfather is going to be a popular episode. No, nope. <laughs> nobody cares. Nobody. It's like, man, I thought that was a pretty popular movie, um, but no. Nobody really wanted to dive into that. Um, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised. The Godfather isn't for everybody. Although uh, a lot of people, uh, critics think that it's one of the greatest movies of all time. It doesn't mean that everybody loves the movie. Uh, So, you know, just a little insight about how this show is going. And hope and pray that I can keep it going maybe through the summer and see where it goes. Um, so go ahead and continue supporting the show. This will wrap up episode number 29 of the actors room. My name is Jeff Tarowski, and I really hope that you had a great day today. I had a pretty good day. It's a Monday. It came out. The episode came out later this week because I got some personal stuff going on. I don't like doing that. Pretty consistent about putting my show up weekly on the same day. Didn't happen this week. So. Hey, it happens, right? So guess what? It's Monday. It's not Friday usually. It's usually Friday, but today it's Monday. It's a good day for a Monday. Not bad. So I am ready to get out of my little room. And I apologize if you heard rain. It has been raining here all day. And I was doing my podcast, this episode here, about Woody Allen. And I'm talking and I hear... It's just beating on the house. I don't know what the hell's going on. It's February, and it's going to be 70 tomorrow. What the hell is going on? I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. It's February, and it's 70 degrees, and we're getting rain showers. So if it was cold, man, we'd be getting a snowstorm right now. So 
Count your blessings, everyone, from the northeast uh, part of uh, America. Because we are being smiled upon right now. Now, we don't see the sun. We're seeing gray skies, but at least it's not freezing outside. So, yes. Woo, a little gloomy, but hey, it's February. It's rough. This is a rough month for us here in Cleveland. Always very rough. But not this year. I mean, here we are. Uh, February is slowly slipping away. And it's going to be 70 degrees tomorrow. Wow. Thank you, Mother Nature. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you once again, anybody that's listening. Uh, Have a great evening. Put in that movie tonight. One that makes you feel happy. Uh, God bless you. Have a good one.